I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to AI Named This Show. I'm Tasia Custodi. And bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for 2024, I'm Tristan Jutra. We are, believe it or not, your human hosts. Barely human today. <laughs> Barely today. And this is our first show of 2024. <laughs> Hi to our listeners in Austria. Hi. I love these easy ones, Tristan. I nail it every time. H-A-I. That's like, yes, in Japanese. So I really hope I got that right and I didn't forget to change what it was. <laughs> From last week. <laughs> From, listen, you say last week. Uh, we've got a little announcement to make here. We played hooky for the final episode of 2023. Sorry. Sickness ran through this podcast like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Let me tell you, we had no choice but to call it. Because we are, as we say at the top of the show, human. <laughs> See, if we were AI, Tristan... <laughs> The show would have gone off without a hitch. We should have had that ready to roll, but maybe next, think... maybe next Christmas we'll, we'll, we'll get that going. We'll get our, we'll get we'll our romantic ourselves... AI companions to do the show for Oh, boy. Us. We'll give ourselves another year. Yeah, let's build our, our AI host versions of ourselves, and we'll give ourselves a year to do it. Perfect. What could go wrong? Well, what's going wrong for uh, OpenAI and Microsoft, Tasia? Oh, boy. So let's just kick this off with a skosh of news, shall we? Because I know we want to get into some predictions and maybe even our funnest picks from our funnest. That's not a word. Maybe even some of our favorite picks from the last year. And listen, we can't promise anything today. It's the it's the first show of the year. OK, Tristan, we'll just blame it on the sickness. <laughs> I wish I could say I was on cold meds, but I'm not. And I should be. And you should be absolutely correct. All right. So getting into this little bit of news, the New York Times is suing OpenAI and Microsoft over AI use of copyrighted work. This is huge, Tristan, because the Times is actually the first major American organization to sue. And again, it's not just the creator of ChatGPT. It's not just OpenAI, but it's also Microsoft and I think there might even be like some other big AI platforms over copyrighted issues associated with its written work. So their lawsuit claims that millions of articles published by the Times were used to train these automated chatbots that, as we know, kind of now compete. Fact check true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like they, they kind of now compete with them as like a source of, I will use the word reliable in quotation marks, but a source of reliable information. Now, the suit does not really include an exact like monetary demand per se, but it says that the defendant should be held responsible for, quote, billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages related to unlawful copying and the use of the Times' uniquely valuable works. So the suit also calls for the companies to destroy any chatbot models and training data that use copyright material from the Times. Can you even, Tristan? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just, just shut it down. Shut just it shut down. it down. Just that's what they're saying. So like a little bit of that, the backstory here is that the Times actually approached Microsoft and OpenAI back in April of 2023 to raise some of their concerns about the use of their intellectual property. And they wanted to 
explore what they're calling a amicable resolution. And maybe there were even rumblings of like a commercial agreement in there and some some more regulations and such. That obviously did not happen. So Lindsay Held, she's an OpenAI spokeswoman, she said in a statement, quote, um, that OpenAI is moving forward constructively in conversations with the Times. That's what they thought, at least. And she says, quote, she was surprised and disappointed by the lawsuit. He said, she said. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is just the beginning. I think New York Times is just because they've got so much to lose. They're going, they're going first. And I'm sure others will follow. And I think there's a reasonable debate to be had about the the training of these large language models or LLMs and what information is retained by them. Because lots of people now are just simply going, going to their chatbot of choice, the ones that have, uh, I guess, it depends if you're talking about old, old news or new news. If you're using the free version of ChatGPT, it's only going up to April 2023. If you're using ChatGPT Plus with that's WebAware, or if you're using the uh, Microsoft Copilot, then you know in Bing Chat, then you can have more you know current news and anything that's maybe not been paywalled, unless of course, <laughs> unless their training bots have like New York Times subscriptions and they're able to, you know, get through the payroll, paywalls. They that way. must, but, because you can only view like three New York Times articles before you have to pay. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's hitting home for us right now. We've had to go to a little. You've got a subscription. I don't. Anyhow, I so caved. um, yeah. So the the yeah the question is, what is a reasonable compensation model for publishers, if any? For the ingesting and train uh, and training of the models by or ingesting of the data from these publishers and training of the models on that original intellectual property, that reporting, because there's a real risk of all that uh, you know, of the traffic being denied to publishers like the New York Times. They're not getting the impressions, the dis- the display advertising, and all that sort of thing, and. Just like some people don't, uh, you know, weren't bothering to go to websites thanks to things like Google Answers. You know, we've talked about this before, even a previous episode about YouTube now looking at transcripts of videos and being able to summarize and people being able to query uh, the contents of YouTube videos without people having to watch the videos. It can cut out. The creators, whether it's a video creator or in this case, you know, reporters and and writers for the New York Times and other publications. We talked about this with Google's SGE, their search generative experience and publishers are up in arms over that. So it's exactly you've called it. Not that this is our first prediction for 2024, Mm -hmm. but it could be and it should be because we're going to see probably a lot more of this. I think the solution is to work together. Kumbaya, peeps. Kumbaya. (laughs) (laughs) It's really that simple here on AI Name the Show. And just, but they have some sort of compensation model that makes sense. It has to be sustainable for you know these these companies that are training these LLMs and or you or you have some sort of mechanism whereby I mean right now they they are doing citations and links and. So there just needs to be transparency around where the content's coming from, and then some agreement as to what's retained in the database in the in the brains of these LLMs, versus what is just you know because there you could what one of the things I, I heard recently is that there is a way to train these LLMs so that they understand language better, but don't necessarily know things and are still relying on the web to know things and can you know, link to the web just like search engines do and and all that sort of stuff. And what we've seen is that these LLMs are really good with language at summarizing things and, you know, in different styles and you know, understanding the meaning of things, but they shouldn't we shouldn't look to them to know things necessarily. So, I mean, maybe there's some sort of path forward that, you know, through that whereby like I said there's more transparency as we additional transparency as regards the links and encouraging people to get to the source and or compensating publishers in a sustainable way that makes organizations like OpenAI sustainable. Because 
we've seen with other businesses um, in, in the past where they've gone really aggressively. They talk about, um, like, say, streaming of movies and TV shows. They spend lots and lots and lots of money and then realize, wait a second, this is not a sustainable business model. And then they start having to raise the prices. At what point, once the check or the bill comes due for OpenAI from publishers, that they realize that their business model is not necessarily sustainable and they've got to start cranking up their prices and you know they're $20 a month for chat GPT plus or the prices on their uh, their APIs for uh, for developers and whatnot so I think right now get it while you can folks because mm-hmm. I think the future is going to be more expensive the future is expensive <laughs> okay so I, I want to switch gears here a little bit. And before we get into maybe what we think this year will bring for AI and our hopes and dreams and <laughs> predictions and fears, I thought it could be fun, Tristan, if maybe we shared with each other what our favorite AI development from the past year, from 2023, was. We have not talked about this before, so you don't know what mine is. I don't know what yours is. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite AI development from the past year? I would have to say multimodal AI being built into our standard chatbots slash LLMs. So we don't need to use different applications for doing different things. So I love the ability to do image generation within ChatGPT Plus now. I love the ability to be able to upload uh, documents and uh, images and have it being able to be able to interact with that information and derive information from said images or documents. And on top of that, I think maybe my favorite thing, because I've been using it a lot, is GPT voice, being able to have a conversation with the chat uh, chatbot, um, chat GPT. And I think there's there's going to be more. We'll talk a little you know, later in the show. We're going to talk about stuff for the, the the upcoming year, but that has probably been my favorite thing. And it's it makes it really drives home how engaging these things can be in a positive way for you know you know exploring you know, different topics, different sorts of information, uh, and possibly problematic ways like we discussed previously with the whole romantic chatbots because you start to develop a bit of a relationship and the voices are wild. They they sound remarkably human, better than most uh, digital assistants. They introduce human affectations like ums, like breaths, almost like little mini stutters and whatnot as well, which is odd, but a little bit endearing <laughs> as, as well. And... Yeah, it's. I think it's a sign of things to come as these things become more useful in a, from a day-to-day basis. Um, and I'll save the rest for when we talk a little bit later. But that's my thing. Multimodal uh, AI within single apps is my favorite development over the last year. Well, first of all, I'm annoyed you didn't say AI named this show. So- <laughs> well, that goes without <laughs> saying. I mean, that's How everyone else's you? pick, isn't it? <laughs> How dare you, sir? Okay, I drilled down a little more niche on this. I bet you can guess where I'm going to go with one of my favorite developments. Does it rhyme with (laughs) schmoogle? It does. Well, tech kind of. It's from schmoogle. It's from Google. Mm -hmm. It's their duet AI for Google Workspace. Now, my caveat here is it is still free for me. (laughs) But ask me on Enjoy it while it lasts. Ask me on February first when the Mm -hmm. price will go up. It will that's when they have said they're gonna start charging. I think thirty dollars a month on top of your Google Workspace account fee. So ask me if I start paying that on February first. I may change my tune, but so far, Duet AI for Google Workspace has been my favorite because you know, as Google likes to do, they get a little convoluted with things and then they like to name things within things within the things and they give the name a thing within the thing. And then they and, kill one of those things. And then and they then kill they... one of the things and then they hearken back to the thing. Like, remember that time? It's a whole thing. So that's kind of like what they're doing with Duet AI. It's basically their fancy umbrella of all the generative AI that they've shoved into everything you know and love, your G suite of apps, if you will. So in uh, Google Sheets, I believe it's Help Me Organize is the name. In Google Slides, it's Help Me Visualize. In Google Docs, it's Help Me Write. You get the idea. But it's just kind of, it's, it's 
working decent for me now, like in Google Docs, help me write. Um, it's at least in terms of generating ideas for me. And it's kind of, it's funny, our picks were kind of the same thing of, I think it's just that simplicity and that ease of use, which I'm sure we'll talk about that as some of our predictions for this year. But as these things get integrated more into what we're doing in our daily lives and what we're already working in, that's what I'm here for. I love it very much. Arguably, I don't make a lot of slides, like a lot of presentations with Google Slides, but it is fun to just have it make random things for me, like an elephant in space, you know? Because what if I wanted to add that to a slide? So that's my pick, do at AI for Google Workspace. If you are listening to this in real time, you've got less than a month, people, to try it for free <laughs> if, you, if you have a Workspace account because they're supposed to start charging on the 1st of February. So we will see. All right, Tristan, let's... I think both of those picks uh, speak to our laziness because we like everything in one place. We just want things the the way they are, but better, okay? The sweet approach. Forget best of breed. I don't want to go to multiple apps or multiple websites. Give to me in one place. In our defense... And I feel like most people, we sh- I wish we could have like an interactive poll. I guess we're going to start doing lives. But I feel like in our defense, don't I felt that eye roll. <laughs> Tristan just rolled his eyes so hard. <laughs> Put it on the to-do list. Yeah. Like, what are we not going to ever sleep? You already don't, Tristan. Um, no. So I think in our defense, it's, we joke about, it's like, I always say like, I'm inherently lazy and I love to joke about that. But really what it comes down to is, it's an extra hurdle when you're asking people to try a new thing and then this new thing and then get this thing for this thing and then get that. If if you integrate these right into what we're already using, you've sold me. You've sold me. The sale is there. Hook, line, and sinker. And that's what Google and also Microsoft are doing. They're just building their AI tech into everything now. So you got Microsoft with Copilot everywhere. And you've we're got waiting Google for you, and- Apple. We're waiting for more. And I say more because there's obviously, you know, we've talked about a lot of that. But all right. speaking of what we're waiting for, let's talk a little bit about 2024 and, you know, does this, I, I got to tell you, I came across this New York Times article because I'm now a subscriber. And Tristan, they said if 2023 was the year of the AI awakening, 2024 could be the year of AI reckoning so let's dive into that a little bit and what do we think is next in artificial intelligence for this year well it's that time of year the end of december early january when you have so many publications online and otherwise looking at the big stories of the year uh, doing the recaps and doing their forward-looking stories as as well because that's the kind of mode that people are in especially when there's those slow new week uh, lose new weeks in late uh, december uh, early january so we've I mean, I'm sorry. Are you saying that's what we're doing right now, too? <laughs> kind of. How Remember, dare you call low effort us episode. out? <laughs> so we've reviewed a number of these articles and identified a few themes. And we're just going to go through some of these themes and expound on them a little bit because there are some exciting things in the year ahead and there's some... Uh, situations where the poop hits the fan in the year in the year ahead like i said the year of getting expensive we'll see so one uh, one theme that's uh, become evident is generative ai's rapid adoption in enterprise with companies like amdocs dropbox genentech remember them bioscience company sap servicenow snowflake and others developing new services using rag and LLMs. So just a little jargon decoder for you. If you haven't heard, RAG is an AI framework for retrieving facts from an external knowledge base to ground LLMs on the most accurate, up-to-date information and to give users insights into LLMs generative process. So there's kind of a twofold aspect there. The latter is the transparency side of things, and the former is the uh, the, the the either the real time web access like we see with um, you know, updated versions of uh, ChatGPT with uh, when you have the plus version or with you know, Bing and and Google or the um, the experts model that we're looking we talked about Mixtral a few weeks ago where the LLMs are being informed by more specific 
data sets, specific domain expertise. So what's happening in enterprise is the organizations have seen the value in this sort of thing to use LLMs for their own workforces, client bases, and whatnot to uh, take advantage of the power of uh, the language that LLMs possess and to merge that with the specialized domain expertise. So that's pretty cool stuff. You want to make things useful, then make it relevant to your organization. And it's not just about, you know, writing high school essays anymore. Oh, no, I feel like we ramped from that so quick that safe, safe prediction, I will say safe bet that there's going to be an uptick in in rapid adoption for sure. All right. So we do need to then also, if we're talking about AI in 2024, talk about, like we mentioned, the advancements in multimodal AI and the impacts that come with it. You know, like companies like Meta and OpenAI are already pushing the boundaries with multimodal generative AI. I kind of teased it a little bit before. I'm very excited to see more offerings from Apple and... I can't wait to the end when we do a little prediction, maybe hopes and dreams for what we think will happen. And uh, I have some hopes for Apple. But, you know, we also want to talk about it as potential use in major productions like movies and games and like music for soundtracks. Do you think as a like legit question, we're going to get to a point, whether it's in 2024 or Not a I don't know when. BS questions. Not a normal, like I usually say. <laughs> Not a normal Tasia question, like a legit question. Do you think at some point we're going to get to a point where, like say you're at an award show and now there's a category for like best AI generated whatever. So whether it's the Grammys, we're talking about songs, if it's the Oscars, talking about movies, like... Do you think that could be a thing? I, I I think there's going to be a lot of resistance to that thing, as given the some of the issues that came up with the writers and actors strikes uh, over the last year. But at some point in the future, I mean, they might use different language that may call it augmented. I mean, there's been a lot of augmentation going on in Hollywood of a different sort yeah. for a while. But honestly, there's I, I I I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually a bit more opaque. Because there is like for soundtracks, for example, we just in the in the the last few weeks we've been playing with something called Suno.ai, which hopefully we'll talk about more uh, in the show coming up, where these m- music generation models, again in the last year, have gotten so much better. Uh, we've seen uh, experiments from from Google, from OpenAI, and others where you're messing around and you kind of get these weird sloshy sort of tunes coming out that barely hold together. With something like Suno.ai, it's like, wow, this is like actual songs with uh, in distinct styles, with lyrics being written, and vocals. So, for sure, being, I mean, that's one aspect I think we're, it's going to start infiltrating professional productions in one way or the other, even as a, a, a point of inspiration. Uh, our friend of the show, you know, Jerome Matthew, has been messing around with Suno.ai. He's a, he's a producer and an engineer. He, they, they do, his company does a lot of of you know voiceover work and dubbing and translation and whatnot and they've been using a variety of uh, of AI tools but also does music production and has been using to, uh, some of these music generation tools for inspiration and, and ideation as well like we've seen with image generation tools you don't just like hit, hit the button and and then pass it off as your own work that is like the least sophisticated way to use these these sorts of tools right but there are more uh, nuanced ways to use these that you can uh, tools to build on especially if you're able to train some of these tools on your own work, then you avoid some of the copyright type issues that we've talked about over the, the last several months. So that is one part of it. But I think one of the other aspects of multimodal that gets in, uh, interesting, and again, we'll save maybe a little bit of this for later, but you mentioned meta, multimodal generative AI. So a year, a couple of years ago, meta introduced their uh, Ray-Ban uh, glasses with the, you know, the built-in... Um, uh, the built-in cameras for capturing photos and videos, and they had speakers in them as well, and they were of l- limited utility. But then this, uh, for the second generation ones, I think it was a little while after release, they flipped the switch and integrated Meta's own 
LLM work into the glasses, and now you can talk to the glasses. And because they've got built-in cameras, they can see what you see. So you can just look at something and then say, hey, what is this? Or, hey, translate this. And then now we're getting into this real-world, seamless application of these AI tools. And it, kind of in these, the realm of ambient computing or you know, kind of a real-time human-like operating system for you wherever you go without having to pull out another device. And that's kind of what AI, the Humane is trying to do with their AI pin and, and other initiatives as well. So multimodal, I think, is, is going to be huge, whether it's the ingestion or output of imagery sounds, whether it's you know, speech recognition, speech generation, and so on and so forth for all sorts of applications, real-time or otherwise. Well, we're Exciting also going to see <laughs> increased regulatory and ethical scrutiny as well. You know, with organizations navigating complex regulations, we talked about the EU's AI Act. We've talked about that before. How 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 is that going to impact global industry standards? There's going to be even more legal challenges to AI usage. A lot of things, more than even just what we've talked about a lot about like publishers and the like, but in hiring and lending. And it's just literally going to bleed to every industry. So I I suspect there's going to be a lot more uh, court cases. There's going to be a lot more <laughs> judges and lawyers weighing in in increasing amounts. And I'm very curious to see what if any regulation actually happens, because we've talked about this a lot. This stuff moves way quicker than the government. <laughs> so I don't even think they know how to get a handle on it really yet. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> and they're learning from past experience whereby they they let you know the web grow largely unfettered, the web 2.0 with all the, the social networks and the... <laughs> organic content generation by actual human beings and all of the messiness that that entails. And they were having to be very reactive. A lot of regulators now are trying to be proactive. Whether or not that stifles innovation remains to be seen. But yeah, you've of... talked about that a lot, which I think is a real fear moving into 2024 is just like bombarding these businesses with overregulation. What are we, California? <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke. Yeah. That's a joke, and we'll, people. <laughs> and and how that ultimately ends up hurting the the, the smaller players, right? And be, and benefits the incumbents, the, the 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 big boys that can that have the wherewithal to jump through a lot of these uh, hoops. So we, it's a real fine line and to uh, to navigate there, and that kind of you know ties into our our next theme about heightened focus on AI safety and uh, responsible AI. So we talked about the the EU's AI Act, but then there, you know before that was the uh, the US government's uh, executive order mm -hmm. from President Biden. And we also saw the um the UK's uh, AI safety summit. So there are a lot of organizations be, be they NGOs or actually government organizations that are trying to ensure that all this rapid development of AI is uh, is safe, doesn't lead to negative externalities. And, and, and such negative externalities don't necessarily need to be the end of the world. I mean, that's one thing that some people are concerned about for sure. But there's things like you touched on, the you know, as regards hiring practices and um, you know, if your people approval for financing and whatnot, what sort of biases are being inbuilt mm -hmm. to these systems? So we want to ensure that there's, you know, there's fairness in there. And we're not simply just recreating human biases in these AI systems, because that's, that's what they learn with they, they're, they're trained on everything. And that can have real world impacts on people, even things like facial recognition. So the regulators are going to regulate they want to develop these safety standards. We've got our, you know, our effective accelerationists like Beth Jezos, who was recently uh, doxxed. His real, I can't remember his real name now, but uh, and then some of the other folks, uh, of course, like Mark Andreessen that we've talked about, and people who just want to full steam ahead. So there's going to continue to be this tension. I mean, that was you know, reported to be one of the issues with the whole drama at OpenAI back in November, the tension between those who, such as Sam Altman, that do want to develop things as quickly as possible and others who, uh, on the board who may be more, more concerned about AI safety. And God, it's remember just... the wildest week oh of goodness. 2023 ever? Speaking of lack of sleep, yeah. Holy <laughs> Moses. I mean, it's almost like, did that happen? And so it's a question like, 
it's about level level playing fields. So regulatory uh, oversight is fine when you when you're talking about like in a given jurisdiction, be it the United States or the EU or other places, but. If those same rules don't apply to other players uh, around the world, then that's going to put certain um, parties at an advantage and others at a disadvantage as well. So that's why, you know, a sort of a, a global uh, approach, as dystopian as that might sound, if they're going to do it, they got to kind of agree because you know that there's going to be the black ops happening regardless. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Well, this brings up what we have been harping on on this show, which is like the challenges and the reality of AI integration. Like we just talked about how we just... We just want everything integrated into what we're already using because that's what makes sense. So you kind of have that aspect. And then you also have the fact that like if customers start to kind of pull back from different AI tools for different reasons, like maybe it's not meeting their expectations due to changing price increase. Like maybe they're pissed and they're like, this doesn't give me what I want for this price. Maybe they're pulling back because there's lawsuits (laughs) against their provider like if like you said if chat gpt ups the price and then they're well, like, lawsuits against themselves right and that's why yeah. some, of these, some companies like adobe and others are are uh, are saying oh don't worry we'll indemnify you like we we will we will take the hit for you keep using our tools please because they're trying to you know get as much market share as possible and that they're going to take the slings and arrows of any potential lawsuits f- that may be related to anything that you've generated using their tools which I mean that's smart to get a, for for adoption, but what's the impact going to be on these organizations? I mean they they're they're big and some of them are trillion dollar companies, but they're not infinitely large. Talking about some of the cool parts about it is like the development of AI agents capable of interacting with other services and performing complex tasks. Like this is like my dream, Tristan. Like I'm so ready like for an actual actual AI assistant. I don't mean like a, hey, help me write my my stupid Facebook post promoting this YouTube video. <laughs> like, I mean, a reliable assistant capable of complex tasks. That is what I want. And I'm going to say 2024 20, is going to be the year that I get it. Agents. And we've had just brief tastes of the agent life through things like baby AGI and agent GPT and others, I think we're going to see, speaking of integration, I think we're going to see more of that functionality starting to be built into the prime tools, such as ChatGPT and Google Bard or Google, Gem, I think Gemini, some of their, uh, some of their demos there showed being, being able to string a number of tasks together because you want to be able to get your LLM or your chatbot your, of choice to, you, to do things for you, connect to the, the wide world and say, uh, and we had little hints of this even with the uh, uh, the pl- GPT, chat GPT plugins. Yes. Be, uh, like with OpenTable, for example, hey, f- you know, find me at, um, uh, reservations at, uh, where, at for this time on this date um, for this number of people at this type of restaurant in this area. And it could do some of it. Kind of, but there's still a long ways to go. But that is the dream to have, you know, built into whatever tool, preferably that we're already using because we're lazy, just like go and do this for us rather than having to us to have to manually intervene. So it's being able to have that that chain of actions together. But the more you trust these systems with those sort of tasks, not just the research, but also the execution, that's where people 
start to get a little bit nervous because if things aren't don't stay on the rails, they could end up getting complicated. Like if you're booking airline tickets, for example, you mm -hmm. want to make sure you they stick to your parameters for pricing and routes and this and that and the other thing. Otherwise, it could be a whole mess to have to go and undo them. And then it gets your information correct because <laughs> good luck changing your name once you've booked an airline ticket. <laughs> Blasia Custody. Sorry, this doesn't match your passport. <laughs> Integration for the win, because it'll make everything more useful. Hopefully, whether it's you know whether it's ChatGPT or Google, if they start to build, imagine if they start to build Google Gemini technology into Google Assistant, because Google Assistant, Alexa, and Siri have all been kind of like brain dead for the last couple of years, not advancing a whole lot. But this this LLM injection is the promise that's going to make them more useful. I know I'm pretty excited. I mean, even in Bard with the extensions that we do have now, like, I mean, it's just, it's the baby toe has been dipped. That's it. There's a little boop, boop, little baby toe in the water and I'm ready to jump, jump right in. Full and why force. is that one? Why is that one the one that hurts the most when you slam it against the leg of your coffee table? These and other questions we will uncover in AI Name the Show. <laughs> So another theme that's emerged uh, in these uh, these forward-looking pieces is the broader implications of AI in various uh, domains. So retailers introducing AI-powered shopping advisors for personalized customer experiences. So I think one of the um, things we looked at previously with uh, the uh, pro the Proto uh, bot, we talked about their um, their hologram, the telepresence technology, but also their Real the AI bot in this kind of projection booth sort of thing, the idea to be a greeter. But as those things get smarter, you can say, hey, where's your sporting goods section? You know, point, point me in the right direction. Or, hey, I'm looking for XYZ. What's the be best department, the best person to talk to in your store? So there's lots of ap potential applications for retail there. And then, um, you know, of course, automo the automotive industry, for example, is using generative AI for things like design, production, consumer research, um, which it can impact companies involved in the vehicle manufacturing and especially autonomous vehicle development. Mm -hmm. So AI has been a big part of the whole FSV, the full self, FSD, the full, full self-driving uh, ambitions of various companies from you know, Tesla to Google to um, Cruise and Waymo and, and others. So lots of obvious impacts there, but even less uh, obvious impacts when it comes to automotive design is, you know, let's just take like aerodynamics for one thing. Like we've pretty much got a hold on aerodynamics, but what are some, you know, maybe there are some things that AI could analyze and unlock some new insights into the way airflows work around vehicles that maybe we haven't uh, picked up on so far, just like AI has been giving us insights into things like protein folding and the like. So, you know, there's there's all sorts of potential implications uh, of the use of AI in various specific domains, be it retail, be it automotive, be it things like logistics, you know, tra solving the traveling salesman problem, for example, like, you know, the best routes for trucking. And you know, there's so much, you know, the uh, analysis of imagery, like satellite imagery to, you know, finding an, 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 a previously unknown ge um, sorry, historical or archaeological sites as well. And then, of course, there's the whole side of medical imaging, being able to more accurately analyze different types of scans from x-rays to MRIs and like, and whatnot, that you know, these, these, this technology can see patterns that we as humans can't. So lots of excitement and developments in all these specific domains. And on that note, I say AI capabilities will soar. Because that's basically what we're saying. But, you know, with that, we're going to have technological advancements and maybe also some limitations, which is okay, guys. We can't have it all, you know? But like, I want it all. I want it all. <laughs> but, you know, there might be an emphasis on smaller, more specific. AI models over these kind of large monolithic ones, maybe due to diminishing returns. Um, you know, the other thing is curious about use of AI in architecture and engineering spaces, like the construction field and operations. There's actually a, an acronym, you know, I love a good acronym. So architecture, engineering, constructions and operations, ACO, A-E-C-O. Did you know that? I did not. It's an industry. <laughs> and people are probably gonna be like it's not aco but that's how i'm calling it aeco i love i love an acronym but anyway i'm curious to see all of the use of ai 
that's going to just explode in this industry when it comes to like sustainability, which I mean, we even just talk about AI in the first place. And didn't we cover this in another podcast episode? Like a lot of people don't realize how much it takes to power all of this technology. So if we can use some of that to like help us in the sustainability field, because, you know, Mother Earth, she is crying. (laughs) That would be really great. But also curious about what it looks like in terms of the design process, too. Well, and, and these specific AI models that you refer to, it, it speaks to the previous point of the ex- deep expertise in specific domains. And it's not just about having a chat with a chatbot. It's about uploading information into your, you know, perhaps your, 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 your private chatbot, you know, with so, much, uh, so many open source projects going on and making an, you know, internal experts in various fields. Because a lot of this deep expertise is not simply available on the web for these LLMs to crawl, right? There's so much more that's locked away in databases and intranets and the like. So if organizations can feel comfortable about training their own LLMs or uh, other models on their proprietary data, then who knows what sorts of insights might be unlocked for you know the optimization of designs be it construction or as we mentioned automotive the sustainability uh, aspect too maybe when you look at complex systems like construction there's, there's always the the tension there between uh, you know, affordability and you know the green aspects of it sustainability of construction you you, you train these things enough they again may unlock additional insights into the uh, proper balances even things like sunlight Geo, you know, at which there's a solar solar power sunlight, but there's also sunlight that comes through windows. How do you harness that for warming a space? You know, unlocking the power of geothermal or whatever other types of energy sources might be available in a given place. What is you know, what is the entire energy footprint of a building look like, and how can that be optimized through the insights that? these AI systems that are highly specialized um, can, can give us. So I, I, we're just scratching the surface on the types of things that could be uh, that uh, could be unlocked. I've said that word three times now. Lots of unlocks. The 2024, the year of unlocks. <laughs> um, similarly, there's going to be a huge impact on you know, white collar jobs and work environments, You know, whether it's knowledge workers, creative professionals. We're seeing the impacts on, you know, software developers, helping make them more uh, productive. Uh, The creative professionals, artists, maybe we don't need as large art teams anymore because our existing artists are becoming more productive using some of these tools for ideation and initial designs. Uh, Lawyers, I mean, a lot of lawyers say, oh, no, well, they could, you know, yeah, I can never replace that, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's There's a lot of law that is simply contracts, uh, analyzing contracts and whatnot, and models are pretty, these LLMs are getting pretty good. Just fact check, people. Just fact check. Finance experts, something, some models aren't that great at numbers, but some, again, with proper training can, can get better. And that was one of the speculations regarding Q back in November was that the um, the implications of an LLM actually getting good at math. So you know, then, then it becomes a lot more uh, interesting. Not math by just like a calculator, but by reasoning, right? So, um, and then these, so these roles can be augmented by AI, but there's going to potentially be some uh, displacement, some redundancies that are, occur. Companies, some companies might get leaner and meaner, and you know, do more with less, and maybe there's some layoffs, or maybe it's redeployment of people into you know higher level type roles. Again, in the in the short to medium term, there's always going to be a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of gonna, there's going to be a lot of people who are impacted. In the long term, we've found historically, new tech is is always you know a, a, a net positive, but getting there isn't always a straight line. Adapt or die. We've said it before, <laughs> and we will say it again. Well, I think in 2024, we're also going to talk a lot about AI's influence on societal and policy discussions. We've actually talked a lot about it in 2023 as well. I know. But oh, the God. word that in 2024, 2024 is a special oh, no. year in the United States. You know that I almost had forgot about that. Oh, God. Help me. Can I go back to 2023 for a second? I just don't want to do it. Let's go somewhere far, far away. 
like let's just do the whole last half of the year we'll just record this show from somewhere from random Antar- antarctica far far away where none of this is happening <laughs> but i mean we're going to have to talk about the misuse of ai and political campaigns the spread of disinformation we already saw so much of that and now these models are just getting better at whether it's fake news story whether it's a generated image that doesn't exist whether it's spreading that information quicker it's very scary particularly in the context of elections so this is going to be seen on any side in fact all political parties and me and my eyeballs that have to be online during that time (laughs) but it's also going to be interesting to see how this affects campaign strategies because i'm curious who's gonna kind of get ahead of the eight ball here that's the saying right ahead of the eight ball is that uh, a saying no you well you can be behind the eight ball shoot ahead, you don't want to be the, behind an the, eight ball ahead of the curve you know what i've made a ahead new saying and it's ahead of the eight ball and we're just gonna roll with it okay but i'm you know i'm curious to see what this means for these campaigns now like in a positive way I, if I see one more made-up attack ad, good grief, somebody send help. I'm just going to keep a little white flag with me, like, help me, please help me. But, you know, we're also going to have to talk about the impact of AI on data security models, particularly for companies using open source LLMs. We've talked about a little bit of this before, like Meta's, it's Llama too, right? Is Meta mm-hmm. Llama? This is going to be like the year of open source llms i think so it's going to be interesting to see like because anyone can roll their own then exactly whether they're a good actor or not which is like scary Uh, we said it before you can't put the genie back in the bottle and she's out there and she's loving every minute of it (laughs) so to your initial point regarding you know campaign uh, disinformation and, and the like I guess I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen so many guardrails being put on these these public tools like ChatGPT and and Google's and uh, offerings, and because it's they like for example they don't want to let you generate imagery with public figures, but mm-hmm. it's always this cat and mouse game of like the making you know, can they get can they get everyone? Are there public figures they haven't thought of? Or sometimes there's ways to. Uh, reword or rephrase things and it'll eventually do what you want because you know <laughs> there's, there's various implications to this there's not only people generating um you know imageries and then <laughs> easily cranking out related stories about a uh, you know supposed scandal involving a public figure that might be running for office but then there's the uh, other side of it where People don't start to even trust real stories anymore because or or they, people can deny them and say, oh, that's just AI. <laughs> so the entire uh, information landscape is be- becoming so polluted and it's going to be even more so from AI, especially when you think about the nature of the web and all this AI generated content on the web and that being used to train new models. So talk about biases is one thing to be uh, informing these models. Straight up misinformation or disinformation is is another thing. And we've seen this over and over again with people getting answers from some of their chatbots that that have ingested information from, be it from, you know, uh, X or Twitter or Reddit or what have you, where just because it's out on the web doesn't mean it's true. And these LMs don't actually know things. So they're just going to, you know, this the whole notion of the stochastic parrot. They're just going to repeat to you what they've learned. So it's, ah, boy. Fun times are coming. We'll start looking for real estate in Antarctica. Hi to our listeners in Antarctica, whatever language you speak. I mean, See, I was more feeling a vibe of like Sardinia. But sure, you could pick Antarctica. Well, it's easier to keep our data centers cool there. (laughs) A lot of this kind of ties into back to uh, an earlier point um, uh, regarding these major tech companies um, continuing to make these advancements and uh, developments. OpenAI is shifting to more product-centric approach with the development of the GPT store. More news on that in a moment. And major tech companies like Apple and Google with their various integrations, at Google with Gemini and Bard, and um, into, you know, so them integrating AI into various products and services and i think 
we both really would like that to be a thing. And I think that will tie into some of our hopes and dreams for the future. So again, we've got Meta on the case, Google on the case, Apple on the case, Adobe on the case. Um, just all the big tech players like Amazon is on the case with developments and investments as well. So the, they're, they're not going to be, I mean, as much as some developments seem like they're a little quiet, such as Apple, there's lots going on there, especially developing on the hardware side and, you know, sitting, waiting and seeing how to best integrate some of the stuff into their own products. So speaking of products, Tasia. Can we get into some of our predictions slash hopes and dreams <laughs> for AI in 2024? Because there has been a longstanding rumor that Sam Altman and iPhone designer Johnny Ive are teaming up to build OpenAI's first hardware device. Dun, so, dun, dun. another distraction. Woo, for... I'm so excited. But my question to you is so, this is kind of like my pick. I'm like, this is happening this year. I just am trying to figure out what is it going to be. So, could this be a smart home device? Because. I don't, it's not going to be a smartphone. I mean, like Altman has said before, he has like no interest in, I don't want to misquote him, but I believe he has said before, he has no interest in like developing like a smartphone. So am I thinking it's a smart home device or like maybe we get a whole line of smart home devices that are like super integrated and that could actually revolutionize our smart home tech, like make it actually smart instead of, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. So I'm kind of excited. I'm all in on this. I really hope that this happens because I'm locking it in. This is my prediction slash hope for 2024. We're going to get a device from, I guess I'll just say OpenAI, but it's in joint between Johnny Ive and Sam Altman, my nunk. Well, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, Tasia. What? But more recent developments um include no the <laughs> departure of tang tan from apple who and has joined the uh open ai tang tan was in charge of iphone product design what are you saying Tristan. Well, that kind of put, tips the odds in favor of a smartphone no, type. No, I'm not here device. for that. I don't want to. I don't need another smartphone. No, it's well, oversaturated. Just, just, just saying. Just saying. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, other devices it could be. We we've seen form factors like the Humane's AI pin. Um, it, <laughs> it's got to be a way better wearable, man. It just okay. There. It's, it's, so, it's, so ear, earrings? How about earrings, Tasia? That's or... what I was just doing. It looked like I was saying crazy, but what I was doing was like a sign for hoop earring. Right? Like put it in an earring or a necklace. Yeah. We'll see. Something that, again, all part of the ambient computing future. So it, it okay. definitely well, be interesting to see what I have been there. waiting since the end of the year last year to know what is your prediction slash wish for 2024 it's not that complicated because i'm pretty basic and it it does tie into some of the other things we were talking about before i just want siri to get a whole lot smarter <laughs> <laughs> don't we so, all so apple has been working on machine learning for years they've never really tossed around the phrase ai so much a lot of this machine learning has been to, uh, pointed toward their uh, photo library image recognition, and that's gotten better and better over the years, helping you, uh, you know, tag people by name, identify people by name, by by breed of uh, species of animal, breed of dog. So I can go in and to my uh, to my Apple Photos and type in collie, and it'll show show pictures of our dog. So now it's learning to differentiate between more and more different types of uh, people, creatures objects and the like and that that's that's interesting but apple has been quietly working on their own large language model uh, training f for the better part of at least nine months uh, i believe again not making a lot of fanfare they have been uh, participating in some open source projects there were some announcements earlier in this month about some of the work that they've been doing they are taking an open source approach to some things uh, maybe in an effort to accelerate some of their developments but it's going to be a real 
tough decision for me when the time comes. Once, if and when Siri gets as smart as ChatGPT, I'm gonna have to make it. I'm gonna have to make the Sophie's choice, right? Because I don't. Again, we don't want to. We're not made of money here, right? <laughs> you wanna You're try, gonna you, pick Siri. <sighs> but I'm just telling point? you. That's yeah. my next prediction. Tristan picks okay. Siri <laughs> every just... time. We're ingrained in the ecosystem. Well, this and is what that's we've and that's about. why it's important for those ecosystems to get better, so that exactly. they are useful for us, and then we don't have to straddle so much. So that that is my my hope. They uh, whether so I guess we'll be looking at iOS 18 in the fall. I think that would be like Apple is not is 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 quite often you know not first to things, but they try to do things as you know they try to make things best quote unquote at least in their minds. So iOS 18 like 17 would have been too early, but 18 so all the, and all the things that come along with uh, iOS 18 so you know tvOS and iPadOS and the whatever they're going to call the next version of macOS, Siri being smarter in various domains on all those devices. But then there's the wild card, Tasia. And that is just like I mentioned earlier about Meta adding the chatbot capability to their Ray-Ban glasses. What do you think is going to be a key component, if not at launch day, hopefully not too long thereafter, maybe in the fall, is Apple Vision Pro, which is, is launching early 2024. Some people are saying as early as late January, but with the, you know, probably at the latest by March and then full production and the stores will start getting it. They're training stores, they're reconfiguring stores. There's going to be a lot to do there, including the you know prescription lens ordering and, and outfitting and whatnot with, uh, via Carl Zeiss partnership. And... There's only there's so much you can do with your hands and moving your head and your eyes around and all that's supposed to be great. But if that thing has a smart digital assistant that you can talk to, that would make it way more valuable. And maybe that's something that they've just been like not talking about yet. If they had that ready for launch day, that would be a game changer. And then it could filter down to their other devices. I'm thinking <sighs> version two or three yeah. is going to be the, the key on yeah. Vision Pro. Yeah, but in terms of that software integration, will will I mean, will that happen, or are they are they going to make you wait until another hardware version to actually enable? That, I wouldn't put it past Apple, but that would definitely be a key differentiator because a lot of people are still pretty skeptical about this "quote unquote" new computing Wearable. platform. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tristan, close us out with a little update from OpenAI and their ChatGPT store. This is pretty well, exciting. Back in early November at OpenAI's Dev Day. We got news that um, they were launching a GPT app store, so to speak. Um, it was people referring to it as the app store moment for ChatGPT. So custom GPTs was part of it. We could develop and train our own little persistent uh, GPTs um, that we could keep in our sidebar and use for specific tasks. It's kind of like our own little mini experts. The promise at the time is that you would be able to develop these and then put them onto a store and monetize your efforts that the the launch of that store was again rumored to be one of the concerns by the board on this whole full steam ahead sam altman approach and since that drama has kind of been resolved at least for the time being they're you know after the pause it was like november december january so yeah we're looking it's a two-month pause so by mid-january the gpt uh App Store should be live, and then you can go nuts, just like the early days of the iPhone and Android phones, and download all sorts of <laughs> uh, custom GPTs and mess around with them, and realize ninety nine percent of them don't fit your needs. Will they make a GPT fart app? Is the question. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming that will happen at some point. What we really need a GPT fart app. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in to. Another glorious episode of AI Name This Show. We should probably apologize to you for our energy levels this evening (laughs) or whenever it is that you are listening to this. And listen, if there's audio issues, we know. We're sorry. We do like your feedback and we very much appreciate it. We are trying to get to the bottom of it. And there are none more frustrated or perplexed than the two of us. (laughs) So we are trying and we hear you even though you probably can't hear us. (laughs) And thank you to those of you that have reached out and given us very helpful feedback. So 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, here's what we would love. If you could leave us a review, please don't mention the audio thing. It's really, we're working on it, but five-star reviews preferred. But really, leaving a review just helps push this show to more people. So tell your friends, tell your fam that this is the AI show to listen to. So thank you so much for joining us. AI and goodbye. The DTNS family of podcasts, helping each other understand. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.